Hello, and welcome to Label Sessions Presents. Label Sessions is a global platform that connects you to the best advice for the most interesting people, whether you want advice, mentoring, or ideas. I'm Josh Nixon, content producer for Label Sessions. And in this episode, Nick Sherrod of Label Sessions talks to Layla. And in this episode, Maxine Mackey of Label Sessions talks to Joel Turner. Joel is a leader in business transformation with over 10 years of experience in his field at both Deloitte and most recently, Lululemon. In his time with Lululemon, he's led the brand through COVID and enabled its growth around the globe, as well as driving a concerted effort to push Lululemon's men's clothing brand forward. Over to Joel and Maxine. Joel, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Could I ask you to please introduce yourself to the Label Sessions audience? I'm I'm, I'm Joel Turner. I am focused on uh, cross-functional strategy execution. I spent just recently six years at Lululemon, uh, really working on, you know, in a hyper-growth environment, bringing together all the different elements of of the business to ensure that, um, as I call it, the rocket ship doesn't explode. Um, Prior to that, spent about seven years at Deloitte in the uh, retail and consumer consulting practice. Uh, Generally speaking, again, focusing on helping companies with their growth plans, investment plans, really figuring out how to ensure that um, resources are being focused in the right way and that um, you know the most important things are being invested in and executed. Thank you, Joel. And we're you know so thrilled to talk to you today because we very much know you as somebody that um, can make change happen in retail. And you mentioned that you just kind of finished a six-year stint at um, Lululemon. And I was quite curious because you're kind of a leading business transformation in this hyper-growth company that's going through such kind of a tumultuous well, I guess it was a tumultuous time for retail in general in the pandemic. Could you maybe kind of talk to us about the, I'm assuming that you've had to be super adaptable in that role when the world around you is changing. Could you kind of talk to us about the power and importance of being adaptable um, at that time for you leading kind of a transformation at a big retailer that has to, I think, probably shut its doors for a period of time? Yeah, so... My time at, at Lulu was was interesting. Um, around 2017, when I joined, the company got on the hot streak that it's still on today. And a lot of what I was focusing on was trying to build for the future. Then all of a sudden, you know, I think it was March 13th, 2020, the I got a phone call and um, needed to step into some very different work. Um, to be elected to, which I think was the right thing to do, to close all of the stores and you know really protect the people that that work there and for about seven months it was day to day it was very much every single day what is the most important thing today it became clear relatively quickly though that there was an incredible underlying strength in the business and the demand was shifting heavily online which created a whole new set of opportunities and challenges that we then needed to focus on in order to make sure that that business could deliver on the customer demand that uh, that we were experiencing. So it was um, completely unexpected, but it, but it definitely provided this laser focus on what was important, um, which is a very bizarre situation for a retailer to close yeah. all of its stores. It's just unheard of, right? But, um, but it actually created this really incredible focus in the company that, uh, you know, that, that was actually 
in a weird way, quite energizing. What's it like being a leader in a time of crisis like that? Because you, you mentioned that your focus had been very much around kind of a, the, the future of the company and then very much that kind of a, the, the, the present change. But what's it like? I'm, I'm curious what you might have learned like leading in a crisis because you can't act, you know, you can't be on like adrenaline levels at 100% every day for the duration of everything. But it's obviously quite a high stress environment. Like what's it um, you know, like being a leader in that environment? What I found was, um, I mean, it was generally, uh, particularly in the early months, a very high adrenaline situation. Um, and I had a team that some of whom were not directly working on the COVID response and some of whom were. And I needed those people to keep working and to keep feeling like what they were doing was important. And at a certain point, and this was more of almost a defensive mechanism than anything else, I literally had to say something along the lines of, I don't know what I'm doing. We're figuring this out every single day as we go. And I don't have a playbook for this. No one does. So it really actually helped me in terms of outwardly expressing vulnerability as a, as a leader, because, um, you know, you, you generally have this, when you're younger in your career, you have this desire to look like you're on top of things at all times. And this was just such an unprecedented, unprecedented situation. And people are looking to you for guidance and you needed to say something along the lines of like, look, just give me a second here to think and just keep doing what you're doing. Everything we do is important. We're going to get through this. And there's more to it than just the day-to-day, you know, we, we are going to come out the other side of this pandemic and we're still going to have a company to run. So, you know, the work that we've been doing continues to be important while it may not seem super urgent. Uh, we also don't need a whole bunch of cooks jumping into the kitchen when there's only so much cooking required, so to speak. And I think, like I was assuming, you know, you're managing a, you know, a huge amount of uncertainty, but also, and so many unknowns, but you're trying to motivate people too, because they'll be anxious as well. So it sounds like you really created space for yourself to say, you know, this is the first time any of us are kind of experiencing this situation We're smart people will get through it, but it sounds like you have to kind of share that it's new for you, but also kind of motivate people and be like, you know, everybody's got a role to do. Exactly. And I mean, part of it was, it, it was just extraordinary luck, extraordinarily lucky to be at that particular company during this, because the whole world kind of came towards what we were doing. If we were selling suits or something like that, workwear, we would have been in a completely different situation, but everybody was buying comfy clothes. Everybody was, um, you know, coming toward our business. So there was still a level of excitement and strength that uh, that we experienced that was um you know it, it it was a really positive situation so we were managing the disruption that we experienced and having to replan things and having to you know ensure that our people were taken care of and were safe and all these sorts of things but um it was happening in such a position of strength that like i can't take credit for that part i mean that that part definitely made things easier than if we were in a situation where a lot of people were getting for you know our business had completely fallen off the cliff so that part i made it easier to say hey look there is a future beyond this although we had no idea how long it would take us to reach the end of that particular dark tunnel that was covid we definitely you know 
you could see that the business was strong, was going to remain strong, and there would be things for us all to do um, beyond just getting through this pandemic. I want to ask you about being somebody that has spent a huge amount of time thinking about retail transformation, innovations in retail, and, and where you know what the future looks like for for for, for retail. How important is it in people like you in your role to be provocative or intentionally so to kind of uh, inspire people around the art of the possible? Um, and I'm curious if you ever find yourself playing into that kind of a innovation provocateur role to help challenge the status quo and explore new thinking. What's your approach to making change happen for retailers. I mean, I, I definitely think that being that provocateur is part of the part of the role when you're in a transformation type situation. Also think that there are situations where that can be maybe a bit distracting to be too, you know, there, there, there are situations where there is some foundational thing. Everybody wants to talk about AI and things like that. But if their data is in such a state that they can't use it, it's just going to completely, you know, be, be like a snake eating its own tail. But I think getting people, I think particularly in a situation where the company's doing well, it can be really challenging to get people to avoid settling into a rut. And I certainly have learned a lot about how to bring people out of that steady state mentality and to think about things that are needed, whether they be from a positive or a negative perspective. And I... You know, it, it's hard. It's it can be hard to um, it can be hard to get people's attention without coming across as being negative or being alarmist. That's a dance that I continue to work with in terms of because I do think it's part of the role, and it's also one of those things where oftentimes, when like I said, when things are going really well, people just want to keep going, and when things are not going well, people are just focused on the day to day. So you know, getting through the day. So, um, that, that role and like really thinking about the future in a more exponent or, uh, pardon me, in a more, uh, existential sense is, is really challenging. And, um, you kind of need to tailor your approach to every leader that you're working with, because ultimately it's just a bunch of human beings. So there's no set way to do it. It's interesting. Cause I guess you've got to balance pushing boundaries and I guess a sprinkle of excitement and the art of the possible whilst also maintaining relationships with your peers and ensuring that, I guess, some of the things on their roadmaps can be kind of woven into what's in the future too. So it's really about kind of connecting things. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's an, there's an element, like one, one thing I like to say is that I might, I might back off, but I won't give up. And, um, and what I mean by that is sometimes you'll put something forward and it's clear that today is not the day for that conversation. Um, and you might need to kind of like double back and go back around and find a different angle or find a different person. Or, you know, sometimes you, you slip things into conversations and, and gradually it builds up into someone's mind where they start to think that this is what's important and then it comes from them. And that's, that might be the way to do it. But, um, yeah, it is, it is, uh, it, it is, it is a tricky one to just find ways to get people to, you know, kind of come out of that mindset that they're in. And to really think about things being like way different. And uh, I definitely learned 
earlier in my career, and I'm still learning that you can't run past today uh, and just go, well, look, everything's going to be completely different. We're going to have robots and flying cars and all these things without providing people some sort of work back path to like understand, well, okay, so what do I do now? Like, what am I supposed to do right now? It's one thing to talk about how everything is going to be vastly different five years from now, but um, what should I do today? And uh, ultimately, we're never going to get to that feature if you don't do something today. And, uh, and, and that's where I think that connectivity between, you know, the very real challenges that people are dealing with at this exact moment. And the fact that if you continue on in this default future, things are probably not going to turn out well. It's a, it's a, it's a really tricky sort of, you know, duality to maintain. This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. Around the world, we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders, just like the people you hear on this podcast, for live sessions of advice, mentoring, or sometimes to collaborate on ideas. To find out more, visit labelsessions.com and book in for a demo with our team. I think innovation and transformation is always challenging, but I think maybe possibly even more so in the fast-pacedness of a retail, or at least that's my hunch, where the business is heads down in and busy in the running of the business and managing that juggling back and forth I think is an interesting dance and I wonder actually if that first step to what you were alluding to around the improvements of today to build the future is actually the hardest one because it's a step out from the lane that you're in yeah I do think generally speaking that um oftentimes if you use the analogy of a road trip or something where there may be some vastly different destinations you could go to. Oftentimes there's a stretch of road that is common no matter what you do. Right. And you, it, you know, it's like, no matter what turn we're going to take when we reach this certain milestone, we can continue on this particular highway for, for the time being. And that way you, you can still get that forward momentum and you've got a bit of time to talk someone into going right versus left or staying on the road that you're on. And I think that's where like kind of just trying to find that common ground and be like, okay, well, we need to do this no matter what. Finding a way to like slip some things in there as you're going that are going to set you up for whichever path you may take and trying to trying to both keep your options open um, while also not being completely paralyzed. And it's, uh, it's, it's a tricky one, but I do think generally speaking forward is the thing that's necessary more than anything. And, and, oftentimes taking a wrong turn is better still than uh, staying on the road that you're on or just stopping or going backwards. Yeah, I, I, I do think so because people, people, I mean, momentum is contagious, right? People feel it. They see that you've passed some mile markers. They see that you're making progress and um, you may have different perspectives. You may have to like, like one thing I have learned is to maybe keep the like really different future quiet <laughs> even if you are trying to kind of move toward it um and at a certain point everyone aligns beside it and the 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 vastly different future becomes the future and everyone's kind of trying to go in that direction but if it's not clear that that's actually the answer just yet or at least that you know everyone isn't necessarily aligned that that's the answer then it's generally best to just move forward have momentum and have people feel sort of seen and heard in the current state and uh you know, make sure that those challenges, again, that are very real and that are paying for the future um, are addressed.
What do you think about when you're building teams? What are you looking for when you're building teams for kind of transformation, innovation, future of retail? I think ultimately there's a, there's a particular sort of DNA that of, of the type of person and the mindset. And I, I, I hesitate to say that this stuff is sort of that something that people are born with, but there is a personality type more than anything and a certain type of intelligence that I think is, is needed for someone to be able to conceptualize future and understand how, and specifically how that differs from today to start being able to work back, um, to how you can connect today to that, to that future. Um, obviously they need to have the ability, the conceptual ability to understand the business well enough to be able to sort of map that all out. But I, I do think people often will over vector a little bit on the specific experience within the industry versus that DNA, that ability to, yeah, to conceptualize, determine what's different, figure out, okay, well, what, what does that actually mean in terms of, you know, program work to move us toward that? What are the things that need to go in which order and, and, you know, really be able to break things down into their component parts. I think that's, that's a skill that uh, is, is really hard to find. And when you find it, you kind of hold on to it at all costs, honestly. Uh, and, uh, and then there's other elements of like, I think there's people that need to be able to figure out how the business works. And then there's people that need to be more focused on the human element of it. Um, because again, all a company is at the end of the day is a bunch of people that have come together around some shared idea of working on something together, right? And you, if you're trying to transform, you're basically trying to get all those people to click into some different way of doing things. And if you don't have, like I said, if you just have a purely logical view of this is how the business should operate because of X, Y, and Z, you're going to lose people along the way. Cause not everyone's necessarily going to see that logic. It's very hard to like show people every step of the, the way when you spend your whole day thinking about this and you're clicking someone into it for a half hour zoom call. Right. So you really do need to have that ability to, you know, that, that connectivity to their, to the humans involved and uh, help tell them the story of, okay, here's how things are going to work. Here's why we needed to work this way. And you kind of, so you kind of need the, both sides of it, the sort of the, the, the art and the soft, you know, in order to actually paint a picture of how this is going to work. You mentioned something really interesting there around thinking about building teams. It's not necessarily always, what I took from it is it's not necessarily, I think, um, in your mind, somebody doesn't always have to have kind of a retail expertise. And it made me think, are there particular adjacent industries to retail that you would keep an eye on more closely than others? I'm not sure if it's like things in travel and transport, like automotives or the kind of a traveler experience. But um, you know, what 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 while we've got you here, um, let me pick your brain. Yeah, that's a good that's a really good question. I mean, I think generally speaking, having worked in apparel specifically, I think there are certain businesses or companies, probably in any industry that are more inherently creative than others. That was one of my favorite things about working where I worked for the last six years was actually working with creative people, uh, product designers, you know, um, you know, visual you know, people generating, you know, visual branding type materials, those sorts of things. That was completely different than my experience working at a, the world's largest management consulting firm. 
<laughs> and uh, I think you're gonna, you know, your ability to balance that art and science, you know, sort of creativity and commerce is something that I think is a secret sauce for a company the one I worked at and for a number of other companies out there in the world, whether they, you know, whether it be Apple or, um, you know, any other company in like apparel, saltware, that sort of thing, or I, you know, I could see it in food. I could see it in certain technology companies, maybe some more than others, but, um, you know, companies that have that ability to like really understand what their soul is, first of all, companies that have a soul. Um, that and I think that generally comes from the creative people in a company and protect that and understand the magic of it and then have the ability to kind of build the right level of uh, operational infrastructure around that without boxing people in too much. You know, there's there's really a fine line there between it being complete sort of, you know, just chaos and being an overly buttoned down Six Sigma environment. Um, so I, yeah, I would look to any company that's, that's, you know, that connects with people on that design level uh, as a potential, you know, analog for, for a company like, like Lululemon. I'm curious, cause you just kind of, uh, um, you just, uh, start for me around creativity and commerce. How, when you, Driving kind of a change in innovation, transformation activities kind of within that environment. Are there kind of a met are there metrics or indicators to help you understand if you're on track with things when you're it's not just about the commercial element of the retail, it's around the creative as well and like the soul of a company. I'm curious because I think that retail leaders in transformation listening to this might be thinking about how do they know if what they're doing is successful? And so for you, would there be kind of a metrics that you would always look to, to think, are we on track? Do we need to kind of, do we need to pivot? That's a, I mean, honestly, that's probably the number one thing that, I'm, that I've struggled with. You know, I had, a, I had a professor that I would always say what gets measured gets done. And that's generally true. And I've definitely seen situations where, you know, creative people change their mind. They, they were going down a path and they needed to do something differently and they create something out of nothing that you know it's pretty hard to say where the where things should be different or or better i mean you can look at things like how many styles are created and how many are adopted and you know look for some sort of efficiency type metrics but you're going to get pushback from people because those are those are walls that you're putting around a, a creative person and and while you know they do say that, um, you know, a constraint can often create the, you know, really innovative solutions. There is something to just letting creative people do their thing. And it, you know, I, I, I don't know the answer, but, um, there is definitely a balance there, especially as a company starts just getting really big, um, because you, you get to the point where you're just, you have really high expectations, you're dealing in really large volumes and you don't have the level of agility that you have when you're, when you're smaller. So you need to kind of find that way to maybe like have a bit of a fringe where people are able to, you know, a bit more of a sandbox where things are a bit more free. And then you have kind of more of a core where people are not reinventing the wheel and just, you know, doing what they need to do in order to just 
you know, kind of pay for everything else. But it's uh it's a it's a tricky one. I you know, yeah. I mean, generally speaking, I think metrics are good. And in that particular area, I think it's like it needs to be done extremely thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. I think that's really great advice to be thoughtful about it in order to, you know, you you need to avoid constraining creativity. But maybe there's something around um the importance of the company purpose too and looking back to that i think that's a that's maybe um a way people can train things let me ask you about i guess we're all excited about what's next and i'm kind of curious around what you keep an eye out for in retail innovation and 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 anything that's going on right now that you that's kind of a peak to your interest I think this whole back and forth between whether or not the physical store has validity in today's world is a really interesting thing that we've seen. I definitely, when I was in consulting, we would do these studies and people would tell you that brick and mortar is going to go the way of the dodo bird and, and be completely irrelevant. I think it's proven out that that's not true. I mean... I mean, the human beings have a desire to to touch things and feel them, and, you know. So it's it's really that part of it is really interesting. We saw all these sort of venture backed D 2 C startups that, um, as soon as they had to actually fend for themselves financially, have not been able to actually do that. Whereas you've got these legacy, you know, legacy retailers that are in every single, you know. B and C mall in the United States that have all this massive cost that they can't, that they can't keep up. So there's this kind of like this kind of in between of like, what is the right, what is the right mix? And like, what are the ways that you can use technology to create a human centered experience so that people can actually feel comfortable with what they're buying? Because what you're getting right now is just completely unsustainable where people are buying four or five different things, only intending to keep one, if that. And then returning the rest, a lot of that stuff, when it gets returned, doesn't even get used. I mean, I, I bought a fire pit in my backyard online and uh, it showed up damaged. And they just sent me another one without collecting the one that they that they had initially sent. So now I've got two fire pits. I mean, that's just a completely unsustainable, financially unsustainable way to operate a business. But how do you give people the level of comfort of what they're what they're buying, particularly in like larger, you know, not, not just talking about fast fashion type type of things, but you know, larger purchases. So that to me is is the the thing that I think nobody seems to crack. And even when even when it seems as though someone's cracked it, it's it's often a flash in the pan. It's often a real quick in and out, and then it's and then it's over. So I I think continuing to experiment, avoiding overbuilding, avoiding overcommitting in any given area. And, um, and understanding that you're going to need a degree of human, I think no matter what happens with any of this technology, metaverse and AI and every, whatever your buzzword will be tomorrow, humans want to talk to other humans. So they want to touch it, feel things. If that particular something is going to go on their body or in their home. And, um, you know, so how, how do you do that in a way that is cost effective and doesn't have massive, you know, inventory pileups like in a department store. It's 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 the 
I, it's the whole, it's the Holy grail that, you know, is, is, is a very challenging thing. It's interesting, Joel. I talked to another label mate who was talking about, I think they had done some work in retail actually, but they were talking about actually issues with customer insight and how to use it. And he brought it to life for me by saying often, um, when you're thinking about kind of a change, you look at kind of customer feedback, customer survey. So this was with a grocery store retailer. Um, and it was in Calvary too, actually. And he was saying, actually, um, if you read all the customer surveys, they'll talk about very functionally, like there was a long line or there was this issue. But actually, when you did interviews and quarrel interviews with people in the store, you actually, it brought a whole new perspective because if you just read surveys and and all those type of things, actually it tells you um, grocery shopping is really functional and it might lead you to think actually um, people don't want to go to the store at all. But actually when you talk to people about their experience and how they shopped, a lot, for, for a lot of people it was time out from the day. So for people with kind of a um, young families, it was like an hour by themselves to get the food shop. Um, it could be that people met up with each other and it was just a totally different experience and a different type of interaction that people had that you just miss out on surveys and what was your experience like and those type of things. I thought that was interesting because I haven't really thought about, I know that was grocery shopping, which is quite different from your world, but like retail in that way. And I thought that was actually a powerful reminder of the limit of surveys and actually when you talk to people, the problem is you can't, it's really hard to segment them because everybody's there for a slightly different reason. But the insights that you glean from them is really powerful. So I quite like that. I like the people that enjoy their their, their grocery shop. And I like to think I'm one of them too. I think I'm just nosy. I like to see kind of like all, all, what all the brands are, especially when you travel. I think it gives you the opportunity to see the brands that are kind of a land around the world and which ones are quite different. So if you want to be a bit more kind of exploratory, um, you, 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 you can. Um, let me move to some of our quick fire questions. I have to warn you, Joel, um, I might just be getting slightly nosier. So um, please forgive me in advance. Um, quick fire question number one. What are three things you can't live without? My tennis racket. I need to say it on my phone. Probably my uh, my coffee maker. Fab. What makes somebody a good traveling companion? Well, I was a management consultant and I have airport logistics down to a T. <laughs> there is there are there are best practices of efficient airport travel that I think are very hard to accept when you're traveling with people that don't understand uh that. So I always love traveling with people that have that have extensively traveled for business and are on the same page as me in terms of like moving through the airport. So it's the most harmonious situation. What advice would you give to your younger self? I would say that it's it's okay to not know the answer and that uh, the best thing to do is to find someone that does and ask them. And that's actually where you're going to get the right, you know, you're, you're going to get the right answer by doing that instead of always trying to feel like you, you have or should have or pretend to have the answer yourself. What's one word your friends might use to describe you? Tennis pro could be well, maybe a hyphen one word. <laughs> no, probably um, probably smart ass or something along those lines. Just uh, kind of a, <laughs> a joker. Uh, but I think beyond that, I think people would probably generally say that I'm 
that I'm loyal, that I'm a good friend. Do you know what your chronotype is? Like, are you a morning or even evening person or, or perhaps somewhere in between? I'm a, I'm a morning person. I, uh, prior to being a parent, I used to love getting to the office at 6 a.m. and having a couple hours of just quiet, pure work time. That has been disrupted by having a chunk. <laughs> so I know that I have to have to work in the really don't like it i aren't productive i've read that actually the number of chronotypes is really even so it's like just over 30 percent are morning people 30 percent evening people and then 30 percent in between so there's something in our evolution that's kept that even from our kind of early kind of a tribal group things which i thought was curious that even in families and family groups it ends up being um third a third a third and even with all the change of the world, it's not skewed either way. That's interesting. If you are, uh, if you're present to that sort of thing, it can be really productive. If you, I'm at where everyone, you know, the morning person is trying to impose morning personness on everyone else, and it's probably not going to go very well. But uh, if you, like in a project type setting, if you recognize that I got morning person and an evening person, and this could actually be great. You know, we'll meet in the middle, talk for a bit, and then we've got the we'll whole just day. Just be around the clock. Obviously, yeah, exactly. It's like working with people. Operational efficiency right there, Joel. Yeah. This is the last question. It's something that we ask everybody on the podcast. Um, On a scale of one to 10, Joel Turner, how weird are you? I'm probably inside a 10 and outwardly maybe like a seven. (laughs) That's perfect. I think that that's um, the best place of any to end things. Thank you so much for having a chat with us and sharing some of your kind of a insights and observations um, that you've kind of gleaned in the years of working in kind of retail innovation and transformation. We really appreciate it. So concludes another episode of Label Sessions Presents. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast nowhere at your platform of choice. And of course, start your journey today with us at labelsessions.com.